You are listening to audio recorded at the Village Church. For more information, go to villagechurchbaltimore.com. Amen. So let me look at, um, we're going to look at a few different passages. Let me start in Matthew chapter 28. This is verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And as we think of these verses, um, for a moment here, um, one of the things I love about this whole thing that we call church is being the church. And it sounds strange, but what I mean is I love observing and being part of the love that's shared in our midst here. Um, when I see, yo, talk about feels, like the kindness and generosity I see flowing from one another to each other. When we hear about needs that we have, needs that others have, the warmth that comes from being a family. There's a word in, in the scriptures called koinonia. And the English version of that word koinonia, it's this deep communion we share. This special thing about being the church, that, that body of Jesus, that, that warmth we share with one another, this koinonia. And I want us to be a people, this is my passion, I want us to be a people, yo, we're always aggressively fighting for that. When church can easily become just a thing we do, or like a checklist on our box, that we got to fight for that family. we got to fight for that warmth with one another. But here's what I'm going to say too. We need to be reminded that's not just about that fellowship. Yo, it's never meant to just stop at the feels we got for one another and the good family God's given us now and the, and the warmth and the generosity amongst ourselves. Because when we look at these words that Christ gave here, um, you, might, you might be familiar with this if you're from churches, but he gave this at the end of Matthew. It's called the Great Commission. And the imperative, that's just a fancy grammar word for command, right? The command here, it it explains the central focus of these words, this great commission. And this command is make disciples. Make disciples. That's really what it's about if you follow Jesus. And it's critical for us to recognize that as we're gathering here, and as beautiful and as sweet as the fellowship is, um, when we are the church, we're also given a command. And this might go contrary to some of what you heard. The command is not necessary even to grow a church. Um, and I know I just killed like 85% of LifeWay's resources when I said that. Um, but the main command for a church is not even just to grow it. Though I, I would say, I think if a church is growing numerically, that, that's an extension of making disciples. That's a good thing. We should never apologize that more people are coming to know Jesus. But yo, our main commandment, what we are to give our time, our, ourselves, our energy, our money, our resources, give our everything to is to make disciples. It's about making disciples. And for some of us here, disciples might sound like a strange word, kind of cultish. And I know we've been accused of being a cult. Um, you can judge for yourselves. I don't think we're a cult. Um, if you ever run into a culture's run or talk to another church that you trust, right? But simply a disciple is a follower of Jesus. Just a fancy word for a follower of Jesus, disciple. So a disciple, another way to think about it is a disciple is someone who's transformed and continually being transformed um, to become more and more like Jesus. Like a Christian is a little Christ becoming more and more like Jesus. So as a church then, as a village church, but any other church that follows Jesus, I think a proper question of self-assessment, we've got to ask ourselves, are we making disciples? 
Are we making disciples? Are are people becoming transformed in their inner being and their outward expression more and more into the image of Jesus? And I I think you're getting it, right? As we dwell on these words and we look at words all throughout Jesus' ministry, we see that this idea of reaching those who are lost was crucial to Jesus' heart. He did a lot of things, but, but at the base of it all was this driving energy, passion, that those who are far from God would come to know the love of God and their life would be transformed. Reaching those who are apart from him was always on his mind. So again, even as we have this fellowship that displays God's love, and I hope it would grow. I mean, I hope it's just so um, just kind and warm and all these things we're reminded that even the love we share with one another, it's for a greater purpose. It's like when John 13, uh, the verses there talk about this idea that the world may know that we are disciples of Christ by our love for one another. That even the love we share for one another, as inwardly focused that might seem, even the purpose of that is so that the world who doesn't know that might say, yo, something's going on here that I need in my life. I don't have that kind of love, that kind of generosity, that kind of compassion, loving people who drive me crazy at times. I don't got that. What what do you have that I don't have? And they might know who the Christ is based on the love we see here. So church, hard questions we need to ask ourselves. Can you imagine Jesus ever establishing a community that inwardly loves each other? but would not passionately focus on extending his grace, his compassion, and good news of salvation. What happened? What's so funny? Oh, okay, amen. That's the spirit moving right there. God works through the mouths of little babes. And just if you're a parent, just a side note, if your children are crying and stuff in here, yo, keep them here. No, I'm just being, I'm being serious. Part of making disciples is how do we raise up children to know Jesus? And we're not inconvenienced by that. But Jesus, can you imagine him starting a community that would be like navel-gazing and just about ourselves? Kind of like how can we build this structure called a church so that we, our lives can get more comfortable or more, or more stable or so we can get better teaching? I mean, all those things might be important. But can you imagine him starting community and it would just stop with us? It makes no sense if you look at his words throughout the scriptures. Because Jesus had a very clear mission in why he came to this earth and how he was making disciples who would make other disciples. Uh, look at Matthew chapter 16, starting in verse 13. It says, Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So if we set the table here, Jesus asks, who, who everyone say I am? Who, what's everyone say I am? And they give some answers. Then he asked them, so how about y'all? Who, who do you think I am? And in verse 16, we see Peter replying. And he says some dumb stuff at times, but yo, he nails it here, right? You are the Christ, the son of the living God. 
And two things to note about what Peter says here. One, he says Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Christ. And, and Christ is the Greek word for this Hebrew word Messiah. And simply, uh, Peter was saying he thought Jesus was the Messiah, the one who had been promised throughout prophecy and time and the scriptures to the people of God, the coming rescuer, the one who was going to come into a world that seemed so jacked up at times, so dark, so broken. He was going to come in and intrude upon darkness, and bring light and make things right. The Messiah. So Jesus is the Christ. And Peter also says he is the son of the living God. Essentially, Peter was saying he thought Jesus was God. And, and we see here then Jesus in response tells Peter, yo, you're blessed because you need to know, Holmes, that wasn't coming from you because you're still Peter. That was the spirit of God that brought these things out of you. You didn't figure that out on your own. And then we see what Jesus tells in response in verse 18. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. What's this mean? A really debated passage throughout history. I think some have interpreted this to say Jesus is building his church on the person of Peter. That ultimately who Peter is is the important thing because he's the rock. But I, I don't think that, I, I don't believe that's what we have here. Because um, if you look at the language, the original language, Peter, that word for Peter here is the Greek word for pebble. It's a word like, I won't say I've ever seen pebble. Like it's a small little rock. It's, it's a little piece, actually, of a bigger rock. So Jesus calling Peter little pebble. <laughs> little pebble. Then he uses another word for rock, rock. And this is a completely different word. It means like a big rock, not like a little pebble, but like a rock. So Peter, yo, you a pebble, and you a part of a much bigger rock. And it's on that big rock that Jesus is going to build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That big rock. So who's that big rock? Who that big rock? That big rock is made up of all of those who worship Jesus Christ as Lord. Who's the big rock? All of the people who confess salvation and new life and redemption in Jesus Christ and say the same thing Peter did. You are the Messiah and you are the Son of God. All of those who confess this about Jesus with our lips and with our hearts are part of that big rock. And what Jesus is saying, he's going to take all those people, he's going to bring them together in this thing called the church, his movement, and that will be the movement based on all of these little pebbles coming together to be that rock. This is really huge. This is really huge, guys, because what this means, um, it's not just about the professional ministers. It's not just about the people who've been trained in all this stuff and spend all their nerd energy like studying the Greek and the Hebrew. and pray. It's not just about those who are vocationally called to the ministry. The movement will not be done just by pastors. Pastors are also little pebbles. So I and other pastors, even in our church, yo, we got our roles, and I'm not diminishing it because I, I still like what we're doing, but we're only parts of that really big rock. He is going to use all who confess the Christ. He is going to use every person who says Jesus is the Son of God. That's not plan B. That's not because, oh, some scrubs, the pastors couldn't get it done. Oh, I guess we'll let all the little pebbles in. This has always been God's design and his intent. He is going to use all of those who say we are the church 
to move heaven through and the gates of hell shall not prevail. So it begs the question then, what's your confession? This is not hip, I'm just asking you here. It begs, what is your confession? Who do you, sitting here, village church, who do you say Jesus is? Because what I'm going to suggest, that if you're here and if you believe, and if you say that Jesus is the Christ, and he is the son of the living God, then he wants to build his church also through people just like you. You're like, heck no, find someone better. Sorry, that's his plan. It's you too and me and every single one of us who say we're part of his body, part of his family. And we see that throughout the story of Jesus' rescue mission, he's doing this. He's always using other people to make disciples. So we just see this idea throughout scripture of people making disciples. And that's part of it. Even as we talk about church planting and, and more collectively in a moment, we see that it's also people making disciples. One of my favorite stories, look at Acts chapter 8, verse 26. It says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise up and go, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? He said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this, like a sheep he was led to the slaughter and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, Jesus was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this about himself or about someone else? Have you just ever dreamed about someone come? Can you tell me about who this Jesus is? I mean, it's amazing. And Philip opened his mouth. And beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. And the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. Yo, I just love this story. I mean, partly because someone experienced miraculous transformation. I mean, that's enough to get my juices like flowing. I'm like, yeah, that's amazing. It's awesome. But I also love it because of the impact that it had on history. I don't think it's included here just kind of like a nice little anecdote. I think God is showing us how history was impacted by people making disciples. And this is a little bit of a side note. But some of us, depending on our uh, tradition or culture, we might have heard things like, especially in today's climate, yo, Christianity is the white man's religion. Yo, it's perpetuated by white people, and it's all about white uh, supremacy, and it's all, and, and you know, you got like white people saying that too, saying, you know, the true Christian thought has come from European tradition. You know, that's like the epitome of true deep Christian theology and thought. And then you have people even of color saying, yo, I don't want anything to do with that because it's like for white folk. But the thing is, that portrays a fundamental ignorance of church history. That's like opposed to what history tells us about the church. Because in the history of the church, one of the greatest seedbeds of robust faith was in Northern Africa. And like, I've got to be honest, like white supremacy type of Christians, they're probably having a hard time with like an Ethiopian eunuch. They're like, what's that mean? You sure he wasn't Ethiopian but had white skin? Well, I don't know about that. 
Because some of the most impactful theologians in our tradition are Africans. Theologians like Cyril, Tertullian, Cyprian, Augustine. And, and so obviously we don't know for sure here, but, but church history song, strongly suggests that this Ethiopian eunuch might have been the first Christian convert to go back to Africa and begin to spread this gospel. And I think it's very possible that an entire continent and the course of Christ's greater church was changed through this one Ethiopian disciple story. How did it happen? You got this disciple, Philip. He was available to be used by God's spirit. He shared the good news of hope with one dude who wanted to hear it. Simple stuff. A little pebble shared the gospel with another little pebble and the story of Jesus rumbled forward. Amen? It's just little pebbles sharing the story with other little pebbles and the story moves forward. And thousands of years later, even now, you and I, we're living it out. God continues to use smaller pebbles who are collectively part of this much bigger rock to impact the course of history. So, I mean, you might be sitting here and you might think, oh, I'm, I'm not like an Apostle John or Apostle Paul going on missionary journeys or you might never lead like mass revival meetings like a Billy Graham. But just like this disciple Philip, how might God be moving you to be part of his disciple-making movement? I'm not saying, yo, you need to be some big rock. You need to be like the rock, like Dwayne Johnson, like the man. You don't need to be, a, you just need to be your pebble self. Just be a pebble, but be a pebble available to God and see what God will do. Because God has always advanced his church through the obedience of people who own that they are sent with a purpose. It's never been about how impressive they are, what they got to bring or what they got to offer. It's about God who says, that's how I'm going to do it. There's no plan B. This, this is how it's going to happen. So it leads us then, as we have people making disciples, it's also communities making disciples. It's disciples make disciples, and this is how churches are planted. So it was a little sneaking in there. Ultimately, this is not even about planting churches. This is about making disciples. But if we are following the call of Christ, we are called to make disciples as a church. Look at Acts chapter 11, starting verse 19. It says, Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad. And he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. So church planting has always been about making disciples, and that's what we see happening here. So the church was meeting in Jerusalem. You know, after Jesus ascended, after his death, he conquered the grave, he resurrected from the grave, then he was with, but then he ascended into the heavens. But it was like, okay, because he's like, y'all, y'all here, but you're going to have my spirit to lead you. And the people of God are moving forward. And, and as the gathered people of God begin to grow, 
Because it's a movement. Nothing's stopping this, John, right? The people of God begin to grow. They also start experiencing great persecution. They start getting hated on. And what happens was, it looks tragic, but the whole church was forced to scatter. They were forced, yo, we got this great thing in Jerusalem going on, but boom, persecution. You're going all over. And they were scattered, dispersed throughout the known world. And some of them got to this place called Antioch that we see here, and they began talking about Jesus. These were just normal people intentionally living for God. They were like, okay, well, it was, we had a good gig going on in Jerusalem, but I guess we're here now. And they just start talking about Jesus, living for Jesus. And this was how the message of Jesus spread to all the earth. Normal, everyday followers of Jesus, little pebbles, went to another place and helped other people to know about Jesus. People were transformed. And as we see here, the people were started to be called the church. That was the church. And what we see, if you track church history, some of you are church history nerds, you love this stuff, right? From Antioch, the people were sent out. Some people left for places like Africa and Turkey, and churches were started. And from places like Turkey and Africa, disciples were sent out to places like Europe. And then from places like Europe, people, again, through a lot of religious persecution, uh, escaped to places like America. And the colonies and churches were formed. And, and, you know, I'm not tone deaf. I know we live in a current cultural climate, yo, where it's easy to bag on all the dirt of our nation's past. You know, we're bringing down statues and like all the sordid stuff. And I, I'm, I think that's real and we need to own that. We need a humble, repentant heart, actually. I think we're missing that often as we look at our country. But, yo, even in the midst of that, we need to recognize how. Even when you had fallen, jacked up, broken people, God still stirred the hearts of faith and obedience in some of them. He still stirred the hearts of some to hear this call to make disciples. And that obedience led missionaries going all over the world, especially from places like America, to share the message of Jesus and plant churches. And and some of that happened in nations like Korea. You know, I'm thinking like, probably like a little over 150 years ago now, like almost right when this actual church got started here in Hamden, you saw movements happening around the world. And in a little hermit country called Korea, uh, the first Protestant missionaries started to come in. And they were actually martyrs, tradition says. But they shared the message of Jesus. And from there, God started to take that little message of good news and started a flame in this small little nation. And missionaries started to come out of there. But what also happened was in a, in a, in a weird bit of irony, or I would say God's providence, uh, even though missionaries had come there, now there was a whole group of Koreans who started to see this nation called America and moving to this place. And many of them knew Jesus. And they came bringing the fire of the gospel. And in particular situations, it was like people starting churches in America, like, like little podunk towns outside of Philadelphia, starting churches for ethnic Koreans, like churches I grew up in, and remembering for the first time as a punk teenager, hearing this message of Jesus and having my heart crushed. And having this understanding that as broken as I was, there was a savior. And, and it took a long time to get there, guys. It, it took a long time. But God used that. So ultimately, uh, a little over 10 years ago, that same passion drove us to start this thing called a church here in Baltimore and Hamden. 
being able to have privilege of leading this like amazing small group of people and, and a not so amazing guy who was still trying to figure stuff out. But all we knew was let's be some little pebbles and live out the message. And that's led to a lot of what we're experiencing here. Every single one of us, no one is exempt here. Every single one of us who shares in this legacy of faith, it is because of the obedience of some little pebbles who realized they were part of a much bigger rock. Every single one of us. They started churches. You need to know, even the most established and large churches among us, like the mega, mega churches, every single, them, every single one of them started as a new church at one time in history. It's all church planting. And whether you know it or not, if your life has been even transformed here at the village in some way, church planting has directly impacted your life as well. So what's that mean for us? What's that mean for us here? What are our next steps for the village? If you are not aware, the village right now, we're right in the middle of this amazing journey of starting a new church in our city. If you're new here, this, this might be new to you, but we want to catch you up. We're looking to start a new, and this is not franchising. This is not like selling our names. So that it's not about like putting a, my or Pastor Andy's names on billboards all over. And, uh, you know, it's not about that. It's about more disciples making more disciples. So I want to invite Pastor Andy up here as um, he's going to be leading the next village church out of this place, into our city. I wanted them to share some of his heart on what that's looking like right now. Hey, everyone. Um, so a couple of things that I want to share with you. Um, one, God wrecked my life in my early, early 20s uh, for church planting and for his gospel to go out to the nations. Um, yep, I was totally going to cry. Um, but it wasn't, it wasn't until I moved to Baltimore um, it was actually the exact same day that today, it was, it was the February the 3rd, 2013. February the 3rd, 2013 was the Super Bowl in 2013. I lived in Medfield, and um, I had never experienced something like this before. But when the Ravens won the Super Bowl, this city shook. It shook. I was there. I saw it happen. I tried to record it with my phone, and it, it looked really horrible. <laughs> it, was it was just like a phone just cannot capture that passion, that drive, that hunger for praising and glorifying something. And God had called me to church planting very early, like I said. But it was in that moment I had stepped outside, and I'm trying to record this shaking this passion that this city has captured. And God just said very quietly, he said, here. Here. And I knew exactly what he meant because I had been praying for years. Where? Where? And he said, here. And I said, here? God, I'm... I'm from a small town in the south, and uh, I'm, not, I'm not used to this level of intense, like, p political divide and city corruption, and just think about the craziness that is our city, a city that has riots, um, and he said, look, and I just began to pause for a moment, and I realized that he wanted 
that shaking for himself in this city. He wanted that praise, that glory, that fame for himself. You know that the Super Bowl brings such crazy corruption to a city? There is no more speed of human trafficking that is just pummeling a city than on the day of the Super Bowl. And that drove me to my knees. I said, okay. I said, I don't know how, but, but okay. And so that, that was the beginning of this. And eventually I talked to Pastor Dan, and he said, let me equip you. Let me train you. Let me develop you, and let's go. Because the church is the plan. Like Pastor Dad, Dan said, um, Pastor Dad is really more the way I, more the way I think about it. Um, but the, the way that Pastor Dan talked about it, we're just little pebbles. That's just one little pebble story. But it takes all of us together to go and be the church. And that is what he is calling us to, to go. Because the plan is that the church would go. And the church would shake hearts. And the church would shake up lives. And that is how crime will drop in our city. It is because people will convert who want to murder, who want to hate, who want to kill, but Jesus will come and that he will change their very hearts. That is the truth. And crime goes down because of that. Rape goes down because of that. Human trafficking goes down because of that. Our city changes because the church goes. Amen. And uh, that's, that's what we are called to. In a couple more weeks on uh, the 17th of February, we'll be having an information meeting right after service. Please just pull out your phone, go to your calendar, and schedule it in now. Please be here for this. Whether or not you're called to go, whether or not you're called to stay, whether or not you're called to give, come to this meeting. This, this is where we're able to just articulate in more words about what exactly is happening, where we're at with this. So please come. Yo, you should just start preaching, man. You got fire right now. That's good. Um, yeah, I want to I reiterate that meeting is not just for those of you. Oh, yeah, I should definitely be part of it. Um, I would encourage as many of you as possible to go, even if you don't think you might go with this thing, because you need to know about it. Um, this was not in my notes, so forgive me. But I'm going to, in some sense, we're talking about the collective going, but as we've been praying, this is really our church doing this. Church is planting churches. So it's real easy when you hear the passion of a man like Pastor Andy and you look at his amazing family and you're like, yeah, <laughs> you go do it. I'm right behind you. Yeah, go do it. Woo, ain't he spiritual? Um, this got to be a collective effort. And part of that is um, y'all need to get behind their family. And I'm going to talk a little bit what it means for all of us, but just a side note here, specifically for Pastor Andy and Rhonda and their family, y'all need to get behind them. What that means is, um, you know, as a church planner, especially in Baltimore, you go through a tremendous amount of spiritual warfare. One of it is the feeling of isolation. You feel so alone, like you've never felt alone in your life. My prayer for our church is that the Greenfield, some of that, they just going to have to process it. I'm letting you run out. You're going to have to process that. But as much as our church is able, we will do everything within our power that they never feel alone. They never feel like this is just them. And it's daunting. And there's no way they're going to be able to do it. Um, within our power, we let them know we're praying for them. 
I'm going to tell you right now, if you're a partner member of the village church, I'm going to start asking you like quizzes out of the blue. Yo, have you prayed for the Greenfields recently? Have you texted them lately? You know, you prayed for them. If you haven't, you're going to get disciplined. I'm sort of kidding. Sort of kidding. All in love, right? Um, I'm going to pray that you practically get behind them. One of the biggest things, they got a young family, a lot of ministry to get done. I'm going to say, if you are a member of this church, you volunteer to them starting now. Hey, can I help with babysitting? And, and if they even offer money, you're like, no, 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 that's not how we do it. I'm here to serve you. As many partner members we have, if we split that up, we can totally help them out. Because that's one of the biggest things that crushes a young family in church planning. They need support. Amen? And I want, I want to be clear because this is not, let's get behind a hero, Pastor Andy. Wow, man, yo, he make me cry. He so loved Jesus. So, um, God doesn't need superheroes. God doesn't need heroes. He, we already got a hero. His name's Jesus. Baltimore doesn't need a savior other than Jesus. We don't need a bunch of people coming and say, oh, we got the answers to the city. We need a bunch of little pebbles that say, I don't know what the heck I'm going to do. Jesus, fill me with your spirit. And bring others that our collective spirit might move mountains. So what that means for our church is this is not going to be an individual effort. This is a church effort. So in that sense, obviously, they're going to be driving some of it just from a pastoral side. But this is going to be a church planting a church. What that means is we're going to be sharing a lot of resources. Obviously, we're already supporting in different ways. Even in my role, uh, we're still working out the details. But I'm going to be there to fully support in whatever way I can, helping to develop, helping to lead, uh, probably even doing some of the preaching at the church. We want to support in whatever way possible. And we're saying that for you all to know that this is not some church we're sending out. We're going to have no relationship. Uh, We want many of you to consider whether this would be your expression of the village. This is just going to be another expression of the village church. And maybe this will be part of your obedience steps to say, Lord, help me to be in a place where I could be part of that. So what does this mean for you practically? What does this mean for you? Um, I think it means praying. I'm going to ask you to pray about what God is doing here. Um, If you're like me, some pastor up front can say, pray. You're like, yeah, pray, pray, pray. And then you go to lunch and you forget about it already, right? I'm going to say, make up a little note card. And wherever you look at every day, just say, pray one minute for church plant. Wherever that means. If you drive in the morning, put it on your gear shift. Put it on there. Pray one minute and just stop before you do anything else. Every day, one minute pray for this because it's a spiritual battle. We need to pray. Join us in prayer. What can you also do? You can give. Our church is already going to be giving, but we're going to encourage every one of you to pray about as you continue to give faithfully to the church, you also give your missions offering, just as you would give on top of your regular tithes and offerings. Give extra aside for missions offering, and let's just make it practical. Yo, set aside $1 a day. $1 a day. And back, this shows how old I am as a pastor, because I say, just for the cup of, price of a cup of coffee. Yo, you get like a creamer with that now, right? But for the price of your creamer. Set aside your creamer for one day, one dollar, put that down. And if even a hundred of us commit to one dollar a day towards this new church, imagine the support we can provide financially for the new work to be done. I'm going to say, start putting it in your plans. One dollar a day. And obviously some of you with means even more. And we're going to say, go. This might sound weird from a church. And I'm talking about stuff I don't know if I'm always allowed to talk to, but that's how we do it at the village, right? There are a lot of churches that get into weird stuff when it comes to new churches, and they almost even have like certain clauses, like, yeah, you can go start this, 
but you're only allowed to talk to these people about it. You can't start within this many miles of our church because it's so jacked up. We become like the world. Become so worldly, so secular, so competitive, so driven by bottom line. And that's not the kingdom. The kingdom is God has given us much so that we share what we have. So what I'm saying for all of y'all, if you're a partner member at this church, unless you have a very clear mission of why you should be staying here, you need to be praying about going with this thing. We want to send as many people as possible so it's not that like hard church plant story. Oh yeah, we got like five people and two of them are serving so there's only one person sitting there. And We're not going to do that. We want to send as many people who are stable, who love Jesus, who, who embody the values of this church already to go because we're doing another village church. We're also going to say that some of you already know, oh, I'm in it for life. Yo, Greenfields, man, I'm going, I, can, I can ride till I die with them. Some of you are like, ooh, I'm not an early adopter like that. That's a big change in life. Woo. What we're going to say to you, don't even commit your whole life. Commit to maybe a 6, 12, 18-month commitment. And just like you would be doing a short-term mission trip, say, for this next six months, yeah, I'm still part of here, but I'm also going to go with this thing so I can get it, help it, get it off the ground. Maybe for some of you, it's 12 months. Some of you, it's 18 months. Whatever it is, you don't even have to give your whole life, but say, I'm going to help get this thing started because that's often one of the most difficult things. Amen? You need to be praying about this because that's our heart here. Pray, give, go. And as we go into our time of communion to respond here, man, the worst thing would be is after we leave here today, we'll be like, oh, that was a nice intellectually tickling message. Oh, my heart's got a little feels. Oh, it's got... If we don't really live out the call that Christ has given us, the mandate he's given us, and as we go into this time of the table, for those of you who do confess that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is the Son of the living God, I'm going to invite you to come up as we sing and pray. Come up, take a piece of the bread, and remember the broken body of Jesus that he shared so generously with his followers. Come up both aisles, dip into the cup. Remember the blood that was shed so that a broken humanity could be reconciled with the Savior and take your communion. But guys, don't come up without thinking before you come up and pray and ask God to settle in your heart. Lord, what does it mean that you broke your body to be broken in so many different ways and spread never to just stay with us, but it's given to us so that it would spread from this place. It has to. It has to. Otherwise, this is just a religious trinket. We might as well not do it if we don't understand why Jesus has done it. So if you're a Christian, before you even come up to do that, pray and say, Lord, remind me of the mandate I've been given as your follower. That Christ shares the fellowship of his death and resurrection with us, but it's never meant to stay with us. And if you're not a Christian, if you would, in your honesty of your heart, say, I don't think I know Jesus in that way. Y'all a little crazy here. Jesus is a little crazy, right? But he's calling us to a life far greater than we could ever imagine. He's calling for a life where he wants to give us meaning for why we've always been frustrated in our life. And maybe say, finally, to get a grip of what we're called to do. If that's you, maybe for the first time you're here today, and you would say, I want to know this Jesus. I want to be part of that story. I want to be that little pebble belonging in that big rock as well. And I want my, if that's you, I would say, come to Jesus this day. Say, Lord, forgive me of my sins. Thank you for dying that I don't have to die. And forgive me, cleanse me, and let me join your big story. Because I want more people to know about this as well. And if that's you, maybe today could be your first communion as a follower of Christ. As someone who confesses you follow him. Stand with me.
as we respond in song and in prayer and in the Lord's Supper, really, I want to ask you to sit on this. Don't just go right into religious mode and go to the next thing. Sit on this and let the Holy Spirit prompt your heart. What's your response here today? How are you going to pray? How are you going to give? How are you going to go? How are you going to train even this restructuring of what you've always thought the Christian life is, just a participatory kind of watch? And God's invited you. You're supposed to be part of his movement, disciples making disciples. So bow your head. Let me pray for us as we respond to however the Lord might be moving you. Lord, help us. Lord, again, I think I'm preaching to myself because if I'm honest, my heart is prone to myself and I want to just stay with what I know and be comfortable and just be done. But Lord, you're reminding us we were created for far more than that. We've been redeemed for far more than that. So I pray for this family here as tight as it can be, as loving as it can be. Lord, remind us it's never meant to stop with us. And God, as you give us this opportunity to love our city, to, to show Jesus to our city, not to try to save it because we're better, but Lord, just let other little pebbles know this little pebble story. Move some of us, God. Move some of us in our hearts, in our bodies, in our minds to join you on this rescue mission. So help us, Lord. Holy Spirit, challenge our church, but encourage our church that's not about us being great. Ultimately, it's about us knowing our great God. So we love you, Jesus, for making this all possible. So help us right now as we respond to your Spirit's prompting. So let's pray, sing. Again, come up both aisles, receive the communion right at the table if you're a Christian. If you'd like to talk with someone, uh, I would love to talk and pray with you as well or others here. But let's respond however the Lord might be speaking to you.